A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Hey guys, welcome to season three of Black Real Black. You can sing Get Sue's back back. Like, <laughs> In harmony, we're never doing that. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, somebody else can do it, you know. Start recording now. Yeah, I'm recording. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no somebody else can actually do it. The listeners love you, man. They love they you. They want to hear you do it. They want to hear your voice. Um, yo. Oh my jeez. <laughs> Alright, boom. Season three. <laughs> that real podcast. Like, I couldn't think of a proper intro this time. So, um, yeah, welcome back. It's been a minute. Um, we haven't recorded in, I think, nearly three months. Hmm. Um, so we're coming back. New year, new season. Um, how you guys been? Mm, new rich, new me, new year. New, <laughs> I mean, everything new. Everything new. Wow. <laughs> I should have probably, I probably should have started by saying, like, who's here? Um, hmm. so yeah, Dami back after, I feel like a long time out. Mm-hmm. We've all been out for a long time, but yeah. I can't remember the last time I featured on the podcast. Um, I featured last at the live event. Okay, cool. Fantastic event. Uh, Blackberry Alive, Gender in the Modern World. Thank you to everybody who showed up. Mm. We've actually, to be fair, we've actually been pretty busy since mm. not releasing our <laughs> podcast. We've had um, the live event, Blackberry Gender in the Modern World um, at Crypt on the Green, was it? Yeah, Crypt on the World was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for all the support and the love. And then just before that, I think we had... Um, sit Down With Shy. Sit With Shy, which was fantastic as well. And then after that, we had Boxing Day sales. Alright, cool. Moving on swiftly. <laughs> um yeah, who else is in the room, man? It's Israel. Good to I... be back again. Yeah, and Kingsley. Good good to hear from you, man. Um oh, bro, you've actually yeah, got yeah. your government now. I mean it came true out of the way. It's out now. After my reveal that at the um, <laughs> at the event. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, I remember no, no, no Kofi aka <laughs> King King. I remember when he dropped it. Google searches to go up now. I remember when he <laughs> dropped it, yeah, because I, I was sitting in the back at the live event, and I didn't know if um, Richard did this on purpose, but he called Kofi Kingsley, and I was just like, yo, the jig is up. He's <laughs> 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 done, it's done out here. The government's um, it's been, it's been published, but yeah, um, how you been, been, though? Been good? Yeah, I'm sweet. Been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had yeah, a good Christmas, good. actually. Nice, mm. nice. Anything special? Uh, not particularly, you know. It was like a normal Christmas. Um, but I don't know, I appreciate it more this year. Like, spend time with family. Right. I did actually come round to Rich's place in the evening, which was good as well. Nice, nice. Um, and then I went to another mate's house as well. But yeah, it was a good Christmas, I enjoyed it. Cool. Israel yourself, how was your Christmas? Oh, it's been good as well, just taking the time to, to, to unwind. Um, do a bit more reading and reflecting, uh, which is always, always a good thing. I feel like the week between Christmas Day and New Year's is the most disorientating week oh, mm-hmm. in the entire year. It's like, <laughs> it's like I'm just waiting for it to be the first of Jan so that things can go back to normal. Right. But I'm trying to be. I've been trying to use that time to just think about what I want 2019 to look like. Okay. And I'm trying to duck work. <laughs> 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 you man are talking about. I slept good to this come week. Is that a practice you you um do every end of year? Is that something you try to uh, try to wait, think wait for wait to go back? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, you know where your heart is. 
No, but yeah, just in terms, just in terms of thinking how the year has gone, um, reflecting, um, setting yeah. goals for the new year and stuff. Pretty much. Uh, I actually remember the episode we had on self care. Yeah. Uh, and I think I kind of mentioned this in passing. Man, looking at me like, did I hit? Did I hit? Did that? I? Yeah. Did go, I listen? go ahead. Go, go, go through. Go through. Man. Uh, and thinking, basically, it's, it's recent, but every near the end of every year, I'll just look through what twenty eighteen has looked like and try and build on the targets. So rather than be like, oh, let me start everything new again and have new targets or new um, ambitions, but actually try to build on the previous ones because it makes it, I guess. More realistic, easier to accomplish, and easier to track progress over the long term. Right. Um, I don't know. I about. I also plan knowing that I'm going to do quarterly checkups. Okay. So that things can change in this space to like adapt, rather than be like, well, I committed to this. You know, December 2018, I have to do this all the way to. Like I should, I should be more like that at the end of the year. But at the end of the year, I'm more thinking. Netflix is gonna remove. <laughs> <laughs> like, like legit, like Netflix is gonna remove certain shows at the end of the year. So yeah, I need to be. Is that a thing? <laughs> Amazon Prime do it as well. Like they, they show you in a sticker. Yeah, bro. Coming on. This is to increase viewing, surely. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so it works. Like, like, I need to finish the show. <laughs> Have you man seen um, that show called You on Netflix? No. Oh, no, good. You need to watch it. Everybody's been talking about was it Bird Box? Bird Box. Yeah, yeah, some people are comparing it to Quiet Place. I ain't seen that Quiet either. Place. I ain't seen either. I heard, I heard a friend told me yesterday night that um, you and I are rich. I don't even have my own Netflix. <laughs> nope, I'm with you, Dami. My Netflix is. <laughs> my Netflix I'm so with you. That's because you're spending on the. <laughs> <laughs> my Netflix is uh, is um is distributed. The community, right, right. <laughs> the community, the community, community, community. Nah, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. The one I'm excited for is Us. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I, I'm not even gonna lie. I went back and played. I went back and played yesterday. You know, <laughs> that, like the Looney streams must be doing something crazy yeah, on yeah, iTunes, yeah. Spotify, everything. Like that. Have you seen the, the trailer? No, no. no. What New Jordan it? Pill movie. New Jordan Pill movie. No, no. no so no. it's a it's a horror movie centered around a black family, mm. but it's not kind of done from the kind of racial perspective. That um, what was his first movie? Get out. get out! Get out! Oh, he did get out. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen this is brain. just. I think I've seen a brief thing. Yeah, he just wants to have a black family centre stage in a horror mm. movie, so Hollywood could normalise black faces mm. as lead roles in in, film. in its biggest yeah, films. Yeah, yeah. And the trailer looked crazy. The way they chopped and screwed Looney's "I Got Five yeah. on it was fantastic. I've seen it. Yeah, you said something, something very interesting actually. It. Just um. I remember seeing a tweet from you about it being Roman Seven. Roman Seven. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Did you mention that I got five on it? So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, having listened to a lot of Romans 7 sermons right. sermons on Romans chapter 7 uh, the passage in Romans 7 is basically Paul saying that there's this like sort of like split within himself and um, internal battle where there's a part of there's, there's a him that wants to do good mm-hmm. and there's a him that wants to do evil mm-hmm. and he, he, he can't comprehend or understand this reality of this dualism mm. and there's a lot of like theological scholarship uh, scholarly debate about that that mm. passage but for those who accept it as basically the experience of the Christian life and I'd be one of them um, there's been a lot of <laughs> <laughs> there's been a lot of uh, uh, illustrations to try and explain what, that, what does that look like one of right. the famous ones is Dr. Um, Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where this this person essentially becomes two different people mm. uh, and one is like this uncontrolled uncontrollable outrage uh, heavy Sinner, and the other person is this normal, decent human being, saint. Let's use, use it like that. And and I was saying that essentially the whole narrative of us, the movie, is that the people inflicting horror on the black family 
is the black family. Right. And and mm-hmm. it's meant to be, I think, a sort of a pictorial image of what goes on inside the human heart. Mm-hmm. And I think even the theme of horror is so significant there because it is basically saying we bring horror to our own lives. Right. Um, and, and in the trailer, there's one phrase that says, we are our own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know what? That's my new sermon illustration for Romans 7. And I'm sure that that's going to be a very popular um, illustration because it works really well. And no, obviously, once the movie first. comes out, once <laughs> <laughs> the movie comes out, there'll be a lot more like no, nuance yeah, yeah, sure, that yeah, could be drawn sure. from it. So I'm excited for my new Romans 7 when you sermon. Preach it next. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot to get from two minutes. But, um, no, no. Yeah, that's how I'm talking. When am I literally preaching next? Out <laughs> tomorrow, isn't it? <laughs> well, this will be released you know, after the fact. The sermon before it, no, this, will, this will be released after the fact. But uh, yeah. yeah, preaching the last sermon of the year for my church. So excited mm. for that. Do you want people to come out and hear you? Well, they can't actually. Oh, this yeah. is being released yeah. after. Is it, is it being recorded? <laughs> I <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I will probably record it, and I, I tend to record most of my sermons. Okay. Uh, and this is releasing after the fact as well, so it'll be on my website as well. www.cruciform.me. M-E. We spoke about that website URL. Um, <laughs> Cruciform. Um, <laughs> hey, that's what I was trying to tell, man. Listen, listen. Was it, Are you for it? No, no, no. Was it this one? Sorry, the name or the fact that was one of the names. Was one of the names. Listen. Was one of the names that you suggested. Oh, I'm done. You know what? Listen, listen. This is this is major. This is major because this is it's a very significant point here to be made. Cool. When people shut you down, listen. Don't let them pull you back. Get back up and keep pushing. These guys all said also, no. They all said no to cruciform being the name wait, for Black let, let him go. Go. And now it's gonna happen either anyway. So that's 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 a that's a message there. Persistence, endurance, you can make it happen. Go on. Okay, so Israel said what he said. I'm gonna <laughs> use some scripture. And I'm just gonna say a wise man keeps wise counsel. Richard and myself have and? given Israel our thoughts on this cruciform website. <laughs> and Israel being the perennial wise man has done what he's decided to do. Let's leave it there. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> um, so today's episode is going to be a Q&A episode. Thank you to everybody who sent in questions via um, Curious Cat, yeah. uh, Twitter, Twitter email. email. Um, thank you so much for sending your questions. Um, Kingsley has... What's that? We've selected a few. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kingsley has helped to curate a list of, of questions that we're going to try and work through today. Um, so, I mean, if you guys are ready, nothing else to say just in terms of introductory. I was going to say, do you actually oh. want to say what the Cruciform website is actually for? Okay, cool. Uh, yes, so... I didn't plan to say this. Let me actually structure this properly. In August, I will be going to, <clears throat> by God's grace, going to seminary to begin a four-year... A Masters of Divinity at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis in the USA. Most likely Covenant, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's been something that, and I know for anyone who knows me knows that this has been on my heart for a long time. The desire to go into pastoral ministry, to go into sort of uh, theology as a vocation. Uh, and now I'm beginning to take those steps forward in making that a reality. Um, however, uh, this decision does come with a cost and so I am in the process of raising support, financial support, primarily to actually fund my time there and will be creating, or will have created, as you will see when uh, this podcast is released, 
a website to share more about what I'm doing, who I am for those who are vaguely aware of who I am, um, so that you can hear sermons, read some articles that I've written, and I will also have a blog that you can follow and subscribe to to keep up to date with the campaign to raise support, but also when I'm in seminar to keep up to date with what I'm actually doing, mm. and then by God's grace, what I do after my time in seminary as well. And so the the, the website is essentially centered around that, um, what I'm calling the covenant campaign, and um, raising. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful, right? Did you run that by them, man? <laughs> <laughs> you did it. <laughs> so the covenant campaign is my. Uh, initiative to just raise support in prayer in sharing in finances um, for my time at covenant theological seminary check it out www.cruciform.me can i just add on the end of that as well um obviously it's just looking to fundraise in terms of like raising money to support him um but alternatively like prayer and Mm. actually sharing the website with other people who you think might be able to give as well are equally valid ways of supporting as well. Yes, I would very much appreciate that. And please do subscribe to the mailing list on the website. Top stuff. Sweet. Alright, cool. So we'll just run with the first question. <clears throat> so thank you to whoever submitted this question. Um it's a very good one. Very personal one actually. Um and it, it reads like this If you were Satan, how would you seek to tempt you? <laughs> First and foremost, I'm not Satan. <laughs> thank, thank, uh, <laughs> thank you for that grand disclosure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but if, if you were Satan, how would you seek to tempt you? Um, I guess, yeah, I guess it is personal. Um, in one sense, I just want to be like, look, in the in the generic way, you know, uh, he'll 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 make you what's it called? He'll make you not. Well, he'll make me not want to pray. He'll make me not want to read. Um, Mm. you know and things of that kind of nature and essentially it just make me slowly drift um but as well as that like you know practically speaking like just examples like told you man already man he'll add an extra mode on fifa you know? <laughs> um give me some more ways to waste time there you know he'll he'll what else do i what else do i do when i'm not when i'm not doing what i ought to be doing um you know he'll remove one of my good shows from netflix on the 31st of December. <laughs> Yeah. Was that it? You have to finish that. The end of my year is really taken up. Right, right. Just things like that. Yeah. That nature. You add a fantastic show on the first of January. Right. Um, no, nah, I just yeah, I just think I just think for me personally, just ways to procrastinate, ways to pull me away from things that I know I ought to be doing. I think I live quite yeah. a tight, quite a tight schedule generally. And I have quite a lot on between work, uh, family life, you know, dedicating time towards like spending time with my daughter and my wife. Um, and just even just in terms of like like church and stuff like that. And I think all things that start to pull me away and make me um, just waste time. Not rest. I know I appreciate that rest is necessary, but things that just cause me to actually waste time and procrastinate yeah. are the ways in particular that Satan um, really starts to... Um, would really tempt me. Uh, it just made me a slugger, I guess. There's a quote by John Piper, um, ironically on Twitter, saying, Twitter will be the greatest proof against our our self-told lie that we never had time for prayer. And I just think about that when you said it. In terms of wasting time, that the distractions in our lives will be proofs that essentially Satan was working to actually draw us away as opposed to the belief that, oh, we were 
caught up with so many significant and actually important things, mm. and which is more than often not the case. No, it's Twitter, you're paying for it. <laughs> so, <Danny. laughs> um, I was thinking, I was trying to think about mine. Um, all right, so the truth is, I actually don't really like reading. Um, I, I do not like reading that much. Like, I do have a lot of books, a number of which I haven't read. Um, and I guess more generally than it kind of, <laughs> 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 that, that, you will hear about one of them later, actually, on one of the other questions. Um, um, but I think that then generally kind of extends to, um, me not making use of all of all the means of which I can have my faith strengthened. Mm-hmm. Um, so reading my Bible, for example, me thinking that because I'm listening because I'm listening to a number of sermons, I can be sufficiently fortified in my faith um, and don't feel as, as as if I need to read my Bible as regularly. Um, and yeah, I think actually when you consider that God has provided a whole range of means for me to be able to have my faith strengthened, mm-hmm. um, I think that would be a temptation almost to miss out on one because I feel like I can be sufficiently strengthened by attending to a few others when actually there's a whole buffet mm. thing. I like that analogy. Buffet. Mm. What about well, Israel? What about your own sins? <laughs> <laughs> I think the distraction one is big. Um, I, 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 I say that first because you, you've mentioned it. See. Um, <laughs> and and in, in honesty, Twitter, social media is... Is one, is one of them. I've been trying to really think about how, um, develop, basically developing a philosophy of social media, how to actually approach it, how to think of it, because it's useful, it's important uh, in many ways, but I also see how it distracts me a lot from making better use of my time uh, in life generally, but spiritually more specifically. There's a quote about social media you just searched up a quote I didn't actually I liked it this morning on LinkedIn okay um, but it essentially said that the average person spends four hours and 40 minutes on their phone a day you don't want to um, see what my life is <laughs> which is mad which is mad yeah. but then they were just like oh that means you're spending X amount of time mm. a, a, a month and they were just like imagine mm. what you could do um, that time mm. he said I leave my phone at, 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 I leave my phone at home now um, when I go out right. and he said that gives me time to if I use that time wisely I could start up a company I could write a whole book I could create a pilot I could do x y and z he said no imagine what I could do in 12 months and it was just and, it, and it's just one of those things that sinks in again you know just off the, the twitter the twitter hype like when all of a sudden mm. I would actually spend a ridiculous amount of time on mm. social media and really will be the death of us to be honest mind so, you it has its benefits yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say just to cut in like, I actually was talking to Mary um a few a few weeks ago, who told me that she oh, has Mary. like a oh yeah she, has Mary. yeah, she actually has a like a a tracker yeah. for the time that she yeah, spends a, yeah. daily yeah I have that on like it's um, social media and all that kind of stuff and it actually I think it, it stops it, it her usage t- it can stop it can stop oh I haven't, I haven't turned that one on yet. <laughs> <laughs> so after after like an hour and a half or two hours in a day she can't use Man, a particular yeah, app whole anymore. Um, and that may be a way in which you can... Um, this guy mm. saying Mary's holy. <laughs> After seeing a horror movie, <laughs> a trailer to a horror movie made some whole sermon analogy that Richard's trying to hear still. <laughs> nah, man. <laughs> uh, but I think other ways... Uh, and this is, this, is, this is really... When I think about... Okay, so I think another way in which Satan would, would tempt me is just in the area of um, pride, probably. Mm. I think... A, an inclination or things 
placing things in my life that move me towards self-absorption as opposed to other-centeredness. Um, and that's, and that's, it's very easy for that to be done subtly. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a very dangerous one because it doesn't, it doesn't appear very dangerous in the surface of it. No, yeah. It doesn't appear very, uh, uh, like terrible. It's not these things where the public is just outraged or if Mm. anyone at church would be like, uh, shouting you down because of it. But it basically internalizes your world, um, and says, you know, the world around you is not anything for you to be concerned about. The good creation that God has made, the people he's created, um, his church and so on, they don't really matter. What matters is you, your ego, uh, your pride, so on and so forth. Um, and yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big one. So being aware of... Funny enough, pride, pride can take you from, uh, and, I, and I experience pride even in a subtle way of thinking, oh look, I know enough of the scriptures, so if I don't read today, I'm at, I'll survive. That kind of thing as well. It seeps in 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 in, in hell of ways, and it is it is a very five times before the fall. It's a I know it's not even a, that's not even a scripture, is it? That's just a quote. Oh, pride comes before the fall. Take heed lest you fall. That's scripture. That yeah. is scripture. Yeah. yeah, you might not always start no, 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 no. on the first one, isn't it? You might not know. <laughs> <laughs> that's that pride showing itself. <laughs> that's, that's that's a problem. Isn't it? <laughs> But, but, it's not, but it's not a biblical proverb. Cool, <laughs> no, yeah. like African one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, no, no! Oi! <laughs> Proverbs sixteen eighteen. That's what I meant. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Mm-hmm. Wait, mm-hmm. let me just say the interest of pride. No, I said it's a proverb first. No, but you know what. When Dan was introducing the question, mm. and he was like, say it was a good question, like, great question, etc., etc., um, instantly, pride sort of, like, flared up. Because you um, wrote the question. I wrote the question, <laughs> isn't it? So, maybe that's my one. But, like, when I thought about the question initially, I think, um, actually different to what Richard said. So, Richard was focusing on, um, if it essentially means to take up his time with idleness, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was busyness. Um, mm-hmm. and particularly in the realm of work. So I'm someone who I would consider myself to be quite ambitious mm-hmm. um, and I would hope that I also have the drive that matches that ambition. So I, if I need to put the hours into something, particularly at work, I will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're not careful with that, I think the temptation can be towards um, that just effectively looking like the pride of life and like being so concerned with progression mm-hmm. at work, um, the ambition to reach the top, etc., etc., etc. Um, that you can lose that sense of yes, we have to give our all to work because we should, we're meant to work for our employers, so that we're working for Christ. But then the the aim the aim of your work can be more self uh, raising than it is actually um, mm. Christ exalting. I think that's the area where I would have to be um, careful that I'm not susceptible to uh, Satan's wiles. Well, God gives you beloved rest, doesn't he? Yeah, no rest. doubt, no doubt that yeah. and. Um, um, I what's what's that verse that says I walk uh, for the Lord sustained me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those verses recently. I lay my head down on my raise up for the Lord. Yeah, have mm. have been sort of impact for me understanding that actually um, God is concerned for us to have rest as well as work, mm. and for us to have balanced lives. Mm. Cool, cool, cool. That question got a response from all of us. <laughs> Are you saying that the office work? Yeah. <laughs> 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 cool. <laughs> Um, 
So the second question, again, thank you to the person who submitted this one. Um, how do I know if it is God's will for me to take an action? So possibly hinting at, at a, a big choice or decision that they need to make. Um, mm. And are unsure about the ways in which they may be able to make that decision. So what, what advice, scriptural and practical, would you give to a person who, who wants to know God's will for them and taking an action? Um, and then you read your Bible. Um, yeah. Second Timothy three sixteen says that Scripture enables a man um, to be equipped for every good work. So there's no good or right decision that you can make without having consulted, consulted scriptures. I think. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I remember hearing this sermon by Voldy ages ago when I was quite um, when I was quite young in the faith, and it was essentially um, him speaking about how to need to discern the will of God. Um, and I think it was a text dealing with Romans twelve two, mm, mm. and essentially. The crux of the sermon is, spoiler alert, is essentially read your Bible, pray, and then consult wise counsel. That do the um, same thing. That do the same thing. No. And that, in and of itself, you know, yo, Dami only had one. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know he's not prideful here. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I might have heard that same sermon. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But, but, it's, but, it's, but it's interesting because it, it really is that simple. I think um, Dami quoted Second Timothy three sixteen, which essentially says the Lord equips a person. Um, and simultaneously, if you think of um, you know them good old proverbs, uh, I think it's Proverbs three five and six five to six or so. Mm-hmm. Um, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and He'll make your path straight. Mm-hmm. Lean on Him and trust not on your own, not on, tr- lean on Him and trust not in your own understanding. Um, the whole point there is that if you acknowledge God, um, He will make your path straight. Um, you know, if you if you if you you know, trust on him and you trust on him and lean on, not on your own understanding. The whole point, I guess the whole point is that it's God who ultimately directs a person's path. Yeah. Um, it's God who ultimately opens the doors. He's the one who makes your crooked path straight. Um, you know, he's the one who will essentially um, close doors in the right places, open doors in the right places, as long as we're constantly keeping these things in prayer mm-hmm. and continually consulting a wide council, you know. Yeah. Um, just on those proverbs, it, it's saying that there's safety in a multitude of counselors, yeah, etc. Exactly. Yeah. I was thinking of the text, I just couldn't, I just couldn't remember it. Well done, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Is this going to be the feature of the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Richard said it shots at me. <laughs> no, but, no, but, yeah, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's mm-hmm. fair. I think to follow from that, uh, with those three things in, in check, uh, that sounds weird to say, but with those three things in check, uh, I think we need to learn to, have, to practice the liberty that comes with choosing freely. Mm. Um, I think one of the, I don't, I don't know what the person's intentions are, but I know from, past experience that that question usually comes from one of two motives one wanting to know exactly what to do or exactly what to pick so for example when you're trying to pick which university to go to and you're not sure but you want to pick the right one for you which is usually based on a second thing which is more fundamental always this crippling fear of making the wrong decision so could i possibly pick the wrong university that leads me down a very very um like less than ideal path or am I going to make the right decision about this I don't want to make any mistakes uh, so if I know which one God wants me to do exactly then there's like the security of oh it has to turn out well because this is the one that God wanted yeah, for exactly. me exactly. and actually the Bible's not going to give you God is not going to give you any type of um, safety net like that um, that as you're trusting in him as you're uh, trusting in his people um, and and Engaging in that dynamic, 
you choose and you walk into that knowing that God is with you, whether it turns out well or whether it just blows up in flames, um, God is with you walking with you through that journey nonetheless. And that's, I think, what's more important than the potential fear of this may not work out. Mm. I think, to be honest, Israel has entered into the heart of the question in the way that I wanted to, but probably more eloquently. Um, The only thing I would add is, um, I think, yeah, thinking about this question, I think one of the ways to tackle um, a crippling fear of making the wrong decision is uh, entering in and developing and cultivating a higher view of God's sovereignty over the affairs of particularly the Christian. Um, So when you're having sort of these decisions to make, Provided that you can look at the scriptures and say that this decision is not going to be sinful um, and you are taking the daily practices of reading scriptures, praying and consulting those who are doing the same. When you make your decision, I think you've got to be comfortable in the fact that overarching your sort of life, there is a God who is working these things out for your good. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean you're good in the sense of temporal good as like I'm going to be wealthy or etc., but good in the sense of using the choices and experiences that you mm. have um, to make you more like Christ. And I think when you have that at the forefront of your mind when you're making decisions, um, it's a comforting reality that, that alleviates the concern that if I don't take this exact decision, my life is going to crumble. Mm. Cool, cool. Next question. Um, I've got it here, actually. Uh, what is modesty and how does it apply to men and women? I think this question only requires answers from a few, so I'll sit this one out. <laughs> no, it's jokes, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, look, Kay, do you want to just provide us with a nice quick answer for that? Appreciate that, bro. It's okay when you... <laughs> so, by the way, it's funny because you're the only one who both of your aliases. <laughs> Why are you turning around? I don't know. Um, do you want to give, give us a quick answer? I don't. <laughs> but, but you shall. <laughs> Okay, someone. I, I remember having a discussion about this um, at a men's meeting we had recently, which was a very wow. Uh, you discussed modesty at yeah. a men's meeting. <laughs> no, no. Hashtag progress. <laughs> hashtag progress. <laughs> um, why do you say hashtag progress? <laughs> I don't. Why, know. why do you say hashtag progress? Well, oh, traditionally, it's a, it's a question that that's applied to women. Isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. So I think um, the question rightly identifies. Just I think just as a kind of aside. The question rightly identifies that this mm. is more than just applicable to one gender. Mm. Although, hmm. I would ask you the question: Do you think? <laughs> do you yes, there's a biblical emphasis on women. Yeah, cool, right, cool. yes. So that does that doesn't mean that necessarily we should shy away from the fact that it, that is often addressed often in, in, the, in the context of women. Cool. And for yeah, because there's a biblical emphasis. Cool. There. Then, secondly. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's helpful then for us to... Right, think that's coming with that Socratic method. Chill, chill. <laughs> chill, I wonder what... <laughs> for real, for real. I wonder if it's helpful for, for us to um, think of a few things that modesty is not. So, for example, hmm. I would give one. What's that, what's that video we watched? What's that video we watched at your house? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly, so modesty is not a prescription of dress styles or... Mm. Fashion choices. This is not baggy trousers. <laughs> exactly. Or baggy trousers. Right. Not covering the arm. <laughs> show that. Like, show, show that. Uh, show the pants. Which is actually flexing right now. Which is <laughs> <laughs> um, the irony. I'm trust. Surrounded by, by guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, is there any other things that you guys would say modesty is not? 
Wait, what did you? Oh, you, you, so it's not a prescription of particular clothing it's not styles clothing. or. Mm. Ooh, it's it's not culturally um, bound. I think is an important one mm. um, because a lot of what centers around modesty is in relation to. Typically, I think it, there's a lot of confusion around modesty and culturally acceptable slash uh, culturally unacceptable forms of fashion. So, I think what does your does your culture not influence what is modest attire? It does, yes. but it's not synonymous. Yeah. Okay. So the, the idea is that we don't we don't we don't we don't simply say, well, our culture views it like this, so therefore. This is what it is. Mm. I, you. You, I think basically by saying that one of the things we one of the steps we have to take is take that first step of intentionally wanting to know what is uh, culturally defined and what is scripturally defined and being uh, being more. I mean, it's hard to completely separate ourselves from, mm. from culture. The, the, the idea of true objectivity is probably probably it's also not purely a matter of the heart. Be <laughs> like that's just. Flesh that out um, you, have to, you, have to, you have to get that. I guess, like, because one thing you want to start to say when you're speaking about modesty is the fact that, you know, it's partially to do with, you know, or it's, it's to do with also what a person is trying to um, communicate communicate through their dress sense, etc., right? But it's not purely about what you're trying to communicate. Also, so for example, culture does play a role in it. Um, if you're in a particular setting and you're in a particular culture, Irrespective of what you're trying to communicate, you also have to be aware of what, how others perceive things. Right. Um, and so, and so, it's not purely a matter in that respect. Yeah. In that sense of just what I feel and what right. I think about my clothing. Right. Um, so, what your wife what wears out in London might not necessarily be what appropriate for Dubai. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah mm. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so now that we've given that primer, okay. Yeah. What is oh, my day? Sorry. Do you know what mad? Yeah. <laughs> when I was on holiday recently. Sorry, we're, we're, coming, we're coming back, coming to, back to UK. But when I was on holiday, <laughs> when I was on holiday recently, yeah. Please believe it. I was in Mauritius. Listen, hmm. I was in Mauritius, and it was like it was it was hot. It was hot. It was probably it was, it was it was only a few days ago. It was only I only got back recently. Right. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> was enjoying cool. his Christmas, you know. But it was um, <laughs> but it was hot. It was about thirty. It was about thirty consistently. Um, there must have been a couple that arrived now. Um. And the couple, I don't know what religion they, they practice, but the woman was wearing the full, um, what's that thing called when they, when they cover the, they cover the whole, uh, things in the cap? Is it called? But you don't know what religion they practice. I don't know what religion they practice. It sounds plausible. I don't know what religion they practice. She had the full veil. She had the full veil. Yes, in the cap. Yeah. But you don't know what religion they practice. No, because there are various religions that were in the cap, by the way. I, I don't know that this is true. Look, this is my own. This is my own. This is my This is my own. This is is my This is my own. This is my own. This is and it was quite difficult. It was quite difficult to see, but then it was mad because then when they went in the swimming pool, she was still wearing it, and he was just there again, topless. I'm sitting there every time I'm walking, seeing them walking around, and I'm just seeing the contrast. I'm just thinking in my head, like, what kind of religion is this that solely declares that one person should dress in a particular way, right, as a form of modesty, but then appreciates that in a, do you know what I mean, in in a particular setting because of how hot it is and all that kind of stuff, 
another person can, do you know what I mean, can dress so freely because, do you know what I mean, it's just, it was just, it was just, it was mind-boggling. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it because in a, when, in a nutshell, the woman who was wearing, wearing so much was not necessarily being modest because she was wearing all those clothes. Does, does that right. make sense? Um, so yeah, modesty is not really about how much clothes, it's just not about how much clothes you wear, how much you're about covering up per se, if that makes sense. Right. Um, I think I saw that as well in a, a, a meme of somebody in a gym wearing a cab as well, um, lifting weights, and my elder just saying, Dang, listen, heavy. <laughs> Yo, I don't even, the trajectory of this. But my elder just saying, like, that, like, look, that's not. That's not modest. Yeah, like somebody saying, oh, yeah, 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 essentially somebody in the church is like, that's super modest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Right. My elder being like, no, that's not, that's that's not what modesty is, is yeah, about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, so again, I don't want to denounce the fact that the heart does play a, do you know what I mean? What you're actually trying to communicate your dress and all that kind of stuff and, and context do play a large setting, but, but a large role. But Seeing as uh, you might want let me live on this question, let me say something. Um, I think modesty um, can be framed by an understanding that first and foremost, it's a consideration of. Hmm. You know, when you start the sentence, you know, sure you want to end it. Um, <laughs> we got time, brother. I can watch the office. It's a. Uh... No, we're not pausing. We're not pausing. Exactly. <laughs> I'll turn the mic off. <laughs> there's, a, there's a skit in the office where this happens. What happens? Mike. Um, All right, Michael. cool. Okay, you keep it's like I start. I start a sentence. I don't know it's going to end, but I hope it ends somewhere <laughs> that I think it's acceptable. And I just keep on speaking and speaking and speaking, and who knows what's going to happen. As a so you watch The so Office? The Office, the US version, yeah. Oh, dead. Nowhere near comparable to the UK version. Nah, the UK We'll get on to that. Sorry. Let's let Kate... Um, we'll have that, yeah. We'll yeah, have that. Big man, did I ask you to... <laughs> <laughs> like, I love this one. Why did you... I'm always giving man that I think scripturally, often modesty is tied to dressing. And I think when we're using it in that context... I would look at it as um, the considerate um, uh, to dress modestly, to be, to be modest is for a person to be um, acutely aware of um, inwardly. Uh, I don't know how I want to, I don't know how I want to end this, you know. Acutely aware of how inwardly um, beautiful they are. No, I don't want to say that. Mm. I don't want to say that. How beautiful they can be. I don't even want to say that. Gentle spirit. First be a people. One part. Yeah, one yeah, yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't, but I don't, I, no, I get that. That's, that was my application. But I don't want to say it's a matter of like, your your beauty is your modesty. In the sense that your perception of your beauty is your modesty. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that. I think, I think a person. So I didn't want to answer this question. I think, a, I think a person, I think a person who has a high sense of um, the fact that they're fearfully and wonderfully made <clears throat> will find it uh, easier to be modest because they're less concerned. They should be anyway less, less concerned, concerned with what they project in there. Precisely, yeah, yeah, um, and then they're more focused on the inward virtues. Um, I guess effectively, it's a it's a it's a heart that's inclined towards godliness when we're talking about modesty. And so, when you're thinking of that, you're thinking of um, not projecting yourself in such a way that draws attention more towards your physical assets mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than um, your spiritual character mm. um, and dressing in a way that communicates your priorities in that sense. So it's not to say that a beautiful man or woman has to dress ugly to be modest, mm-hmm. but it's to say that um, a godly man or godly woman who's aware of their 
Yeah. If either their physical beauty or their physical prowess. So, mm. for example, a guy who's particularly muscular, that kind of thing, a woman who has a particularly conventional uh, body shape that is ascribed to beauty, um, is a, can be aware of that, but dresses in a way that doesn't accentuate those things, but rather um, is looking to uh, demonstrate a commitment to inward virtues. It's so too forward. So, so let me... Look, I use this perfume. I use like gold <laughs> But let me just say, I I'm, think, just think, I'm just thinking in my head. So, like, because you're talking about prioritize, they dress in a way that shows they prioritize spiritual virtues over physical virtues. I know that sounds like, but I'm thinking in my head. How like, does it look? Let's say, let's say, how does it look on the beach? You dress appropriate for the beach, but you also do you dress you dress appropriate. So there's 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 a there's like, I'm just, so, 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 so what I'm trying yeah to get yeah. At. So I, so the example would be so for a woman in that si- situation, yeah. Um, and I know you're not going to give blanket statements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But just just to give an example, like to play it out, a woman in my mind who is aware of if she chooses to wear like I don't know uh, something that covers her stomach or, or doesn't, whatever, mm-hmm. wh- whatever she does, but she's less likely to wear a push-up bra, which accentuates her oh, okay, her, 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 cleavage. Her, her cleavage exactly than um, a normal bra that just supports, right? Yeah, 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 because yeah. in that setting. The idea of a push-up bra is to uh, elicit, um, well, it's, it's to make things look a particular way, which often elicits a reaction from those who see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the woman who is trying to demonstrate her commitment to inward virtues, spiritual virtues, the, 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 the quiet heart, the, the gentle spirit, is going to be, is not going to want to lead a man, brother, woman, whatever, to, to, to lust or to maybe even jealousy or something like that with how she chooses to dress in that environment. Does that mean she's downplaying her beauty, though? I don't think so. It's a genuine question. I'm being, I'm being like... It, use, using the push-up, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think so. Because I, I appreciate the, the, the whole yeah. thought is that you don't want to... Um, what was the word you use? Accentuate. 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 Wow, well, big boy word. <laughs> accentuate. You know, you know, you know what, what happens here? Accentuate. When, 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 the, when the answer's not flowing, you have to throw some words in. That's That's hitting words. When you graduate from saying, um, I don't want to accentuate. Cool. Some of us are still not doing that. Accentuate. So, yeah, so rather than trying to... I appreciate that what you're saying is you don't want to accentuate certain kind of, you know what I mean? Certain kind of features and whatnot. But simultaneously, I'm just wondering if does that mean that a person should, in some sense, be willing to try and downplay? So that's the point about like I tried to make earlier. Yeah, that's the point I tried to make about earlier about the guy doesn't have to dress like ugly, or the woman doesn't have to dress ugly. I think something that I found somewhat helpful, somewhat helpful, um, is a statement made by someone, and I won't say the person just because. I think sometimes when you say the person... What could in, here? No, no, no. <laughs> Bro! Inwardly, our biases <laughs> begin to lean us to agree or disagree when right. you mention the person. The person said, if you're... If your clothing... If you're speaking particularly of women, if your clothing is a frame for your face that's beautiful and whatever, fine, go with it. As a general principle, if your clothing is yeah. a frame to demonstrate, I don't know, your curvaceousness, etc., etc. Is that a word? I was going to say curvature, but we'll let him go. 
Covetousness. Is that a word? I don't know, you know. I might have heard it. I really thought you said covetousness. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, I, was, I was willing to just let it run. I might have heard it on the boondocks. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> what the boondocks? Wait. That's Oi. true. It's a word. Wait. Is that your boy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Anyway. Anyway. Um, then you might want to. <laughs> you might want to err on the side of caution with that kind of attire. I and, and I think a similar thing applies to a man. Uh, but also your environment matters. So, for example, if mm. a, if a guy and Richard said this at the start, there's only guys in this room. And the reason he, he mentioned that was because ordinarily in an environment where there are men, there's less likely to be an, uh, an attraction towards other men in that environment. And so, if if Richard is flexing his muscles, but he's here and he's topless, that's really not going to affect Danny, myself, and Israel. Whereas if there were women in this room, that's not yeah, yeah. Richard's wife that would be a different scenario because ordinarily we would be, we would expect there to be at least a, a reaction to seeing a, a demonstration of physical prowess from the opposite sex when it comes to men. I hear you. I hear you. Enough about my abs. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Yo. I wanna, I'll, I'll, this, I'll close off by saying that. This uh, brother Wiley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see you had to check your source. <laughs> sure. What was coming? <laughs> so it is wrong. <laughs> Uh, I, I think something you'll notice from uh, most of what has been said is the broad uh, hesitation or intention to not prescribe a particular mm. set of clothings uh, to any one gender. Um, and so we've mentioned things like culture, things like uh, context, comparing someone's um, room to the beach different, different contexts but i think what's what's important here is that uh, and i think this probably needs to be more so the new it, ha- it is becoming and it increasingly needs to become the new way of having this conversation is treating it the way i think the church is beginning to treat the issue of government and politics. Early on, I say early on, like 40 years ago, I think most churches would have said, here's the party you pick. They would, they, they preach what to think about politics. Um, what policy should you be for? What policy should you be against? What party should you be for? What party should you be against? And the movement has moved, has gone from what, preaching the what about politics and has moved to preaching the how about politics. How should we think about politics? How should we think about government? And giving more space for the conversation to occur within um, the, the Christian community where we have conversations about uh, the parties or the politics, not all the, all the policies, not because they're, they're, no, they're no longer important, but understanding that there should be a healthy hesitancy to prescribe a particular set of policies to follow. Um, now, obviously, even in politics, there are, there are clear lines. So it's it's not it, you wouldn't and obviously churches were <coughs> right to notice you wouldn't do that when you're in the context of um, Nazi Germany. I'm just gonna preach the how if you want to support Hitler. I'm not like so. Th- the point is that there are still lines, right? But I guess widening that circle um, to a state of biblical reasonableness, um, and I think that's probably the same thing we should be having with modesty, where instead of saying the what here's what you can and cannot wear here's a list of all the different things you can and cannot do uh widen the space to again a parameter of biblical reasonableness 
to discussing the how of modesty, which I think is what we've been doing generally. Um, and I'm hearing kids say, you know, how do you think about yourself? How do you think about your clothing? And focusing, yeah, broadly speaking, focusing on those questions so that Christian wisdom can be accurately applied to that person in whatever context they find themselves in, um, in whatever culture they find themselves in, and so on and so forth. And I think that's probably a, not even probably, that is a good way to, to move about no, this conversation. Definitely. Just before we end on this, this particular question, um, so we recognised at the start that there is propensity in the church, and I think first and foremost, because biblically there is a more, a, an increased emphasis on modesty in, in relation to women than it is to men, but there's a propensity in churches to only focus this discussion on women. As men in this room, what would you say if you had the chance to speak to all Christian men about modesty? What would be the one thing you'd like to tell them? Loose that muscle. I'm looking <laughs> at you <laughs> <in> particular. <laughs> I said loose well, that muscle. Well, just looking me in the eyes. You know. This didn't go away. Loose <laughs> that uh, That was probably a bad joke. Loose that muscle. Uh, um, no, yeah, that it can affect men. That just because there's not an emphasis on men, mm. um, it doesn't mean that you're any less prone um, to falling for the sin, you know, to falling for the sin, essentially. Um, in the same way, you might want to speak to a sister with um, a particular curvaceousness. Um, you also want to speak to that brother with a particular vacillationness. <laughs> Yo, dog. Close the door. Yo, get out. <laughs> what is it? A vacillationness. <laughs> That's devil from the boot dog. <laughs> devil from the boot dog. No, no, you want to, you know what I mean? You want to, you want to, you want to speak to, you know what I mean? And not just the brother who's, you know what I mean, who's muscular. You want to speak to, do you know what I mean? Even the brother yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who's not muscular. You want to speak to every, do you know what I mean? Every brother yeah. and say, look, in the end of the day, almost that principle that you suggested earlier on, if, if your clothing starts to become more than something that ultimately frames your faith, um, and it's really trying to, do you know what I mean? Um, communicate elements of your physique and, and, and things like that or I mean then you, you probably want to start to rethink um rethink that uh and just appreciate that yes you too can cause a sister to stumble in the same way that you know sisters struggle with lust as well mm-hmm. I often hear mm-hmm. sisters coming to me and telling me look um it's not only guys well I hear my child in the background screaming um it's not only guys who struggle who, um, who struggle with lust it's female struggle with lust too mm-hmm. and that's I mean and that's the reality in which we live and so it's, e- it's very easy for us guys to somewhat forget that um, and to think the struggle is solely on your part because the scripture might put a lot more emphasis in, in, in that sense with guys but you know sisters struggle with that too um, and so yeah you should you should live as those who are still trying to be your sister's keepers in that regard so yeah yeah I thought that was it okay um, I think uh, pointing back to the discussion that we kind of teetered on um, earlier, just in terms of First uh, Peter three four, um, I think I would remind them to, um, you know, be less concerned for the outer beauty and stuff that fades, uh, the outward appearance that isn't as important as cultivating um, an inner an inner beauty, the the gentle spirit. As a mention, as men, about men. Men think it's yeah. about men as well. Um, so not not just being concerned for. I, I don't know if I say because um, I think somebody made the was it Tom Ford, so not so not just necessarily not just necessarily what you're wearing, but sometimes who you're wearing as well. Um, that that whatever appears 
on the outside is not as important as. Are you rebuking someone for wearing something? No, I am not. <laughs> who are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> who am I wearing today? I'm. I'm. I'm what? Hey! <laughs> Don't mind this suit, but yeah. Um, we can also money. see a guilty <laughs> <person. laughs> I'm in a, a tracksuit. Ah, is that a Rolex? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a tracksuit. Don't mind him. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I'd be wanting to, to emphasize that as well. Um, cultivating that inner beauty as well. I don't. I don't want us to to, to not address some of these other questions. So let's let's see if we can plow through a few a few more real cool. quick. Real quick. Um, ooh, this is an interesting question. What happens to professing believers who prof- who develop dementia? They still believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, uh, it said professing believers, but I'm assuming, I'm assuming yeah, yeah. it's referring to it's referring to referring to someone who truly people who truly believe. If you truly believe as a Christian, you develop dementia. You're still a Christian, yeah. You know, yeah. um, and the effects of sin in the world obviously are going to affect. You know, what I mean, are going to mm. going to affect you, but you're still a Christian. There's 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 no debate there, right? No. Yeah. No. Sorry. Dementia is is memory. memory yeah. Loss. So it's, it's a degenerative disease that gets okay. worse as time progresses, and so okay. your ability to recall things lessens to the point that some people might even forget who their spouse is. Right. Mm. Yeah. So usually it affects short term memory, and I think it progressively works backwards usually. Yeah. But but. Can, can work differently, I guess. I think the only thing that I really want to say on this is, and it goes back to your sort of wider understanding of God's plan of salvation, how big your view of God is. Um, in a world, in, in God's plan of the world, which included dealing with sin, um, this is not a surprise to him. Mm. And so when God is thinking about who he's choosing for his, his elect and how he'll bring them to him in time and how he'll keep them till the end of their days, these things are included in God's plan and it's not a surprise. He's aware of how he's going to navigate that. And so I think when we're looking, I think particularly as someone who's now maybe like thinking, okay, my grandparent has dementia. I know they're a Christian and so on. And the concern can be, are they going to forget who Christ is? Are they going to forget the gospel? Um, I think it's a great comfort to know that their salvation in one sense isn't necessarily contingent on their hold of Christ is contingent on Christ's hold of them. And so mm-hmm. if they are a true believer, Christ will keep them to the end. And I remember, I can't remember who the Christian was, but I recall reading this as someone who had a similar degenerative disease, got to the end of their days, and they were forgetting everything. I think they were a preacher, and they had preached some wonderful sermons. They forgot so mm-hmm. much, but the end phrase that they, they just kept in their head, by God's grace, this was, was that they remember one thing, and it's that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. Mm. And I think that's an exemplification of what it looks like to be kept by the grace of God, um, even through a degenerative disease. Mm. I think one of the, very quickly, one of the things these, this question shows, uh, I think, is our recent, uh, one of our, uh, one of, sorry, let me start again. One of the things this question shows is our recent, uh, not so recent actually, but a modern move, uh, enlightenment move in the West towards seeing the Christian faith or faith in general as primarily intellectual and secondarily everything else. Uh, and I think that then raises the problem. If, if faith is primarily intellectual or exclusively an intellectual comprehension or ascension to a particular set of beliefs or doctrines or statements, then what happens to the person who can no longer intellectually mentally ascend yes. to that particular uh, set of beliefs and this obviously this is just this doesn't just apply to um dementia but it applies to children who are not at the age of sort of 
at the age of physiological development where they can cognitively yeah uh, comprehend yeah. sets of data this applies to the mentally handicapped and so on and so forth um and i think what it, one of the things it says is that whole, the faith has intellectual doctrine sets of beliefs that are true uh but it is not exclusively uh or even primarily uh, intellectual, yeah. an intellectual matter um it's fundamentally a spiritual matter and again that would sometimes i feel like it's a cop-out because i'm like how do i even explain that but it's true in that it deals with um relationship to god that it isn't fully explainable by physiological elements yeah, yeah so yeah. a neurological defect can't get rid of your faith it's interesting uh the scripture uses biological terms when explaining um you know the what happens in regeneration and when god you know takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh and it essentially makes use of the term heart but again as we know it's not really a reference to um the the um the heart that's connected up to the aorta and, mm. and has its left ventricle and right mm. ventricle. Mm. See that ventricle knowledge. Has left and right ventricles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, connected to arteries and veins. Um, Boo. <laughs> you know, the limit of my knowledge and the of the cardiovascular system. It's not, it's, not, it's not in relation to that. Um, but the heart almost captures and mm. the picture in the sense that it, 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 it pumps blood throughout the whole of your body and, and, it, and it's and it's almost that reference to the um to the central to the central um the mm. very essence of a person um the very it, it hits to the very core of a person's being um and that's what God ultimately changes um at the point of salvation you know and that's what he that's what he that's what he um what he essentially completely renews and 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 and, and makes his own and it's from there out of that heart is birthed uh true saving faith mm. um. And so yeah, you're right. It's not. It's not just a. It's actually quite profound. A point. It's not. It's not primarily cognitive in the sense of, um, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of how much somebody knows um, per se in one sense. But it's actually. It's actually a spiritual reality. There's a lot of mystery, and I think. Uh, we to be, yeah, we have to appreciate the mystery in the faith and not try to uh, intellectualize everything. Mm-hmm. John the Baptist jumped in the womb, way before he could think. Mm. Uh, I, I will preach. Yeah. Oh God. One for one. Um but yeah, hey, another question. I'm just bouncing around. I'm just seeing interesting questions. I'll put up quickly. This one's quite quick so we can answer it, but does God give us supernatural signs about who our spouses would be um should be? My dad, you went to the last question. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but isn't this this one instantly links in with what we said earlier about, about knowing God. God's so can we just say no? Please listen to the answers given the question. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that. No, I think this is. I think this is different. I think it's spiritual. Science. No, Surely no, they're no, talking no, about no, like no, no, but leaves falling and no, for sure. But the leaves answer, falling. The artist. The artist. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one leaf falling in Hibeti, the other leaf falling in Sally. I mean. <laughs> no, but the answer is obviously we're gonna say inversely no. But to enter into the question, you've got to at least recognize there's potentially two different narratives that leads someone. Oh, supernatural question. signs generally. So no, not even that. So like, so one, someone who's basically asking this question, does God give us supernatural signs about who our spouse <coughs> should be, could be coming at this question from at least two narratives. One could be one where they're in a situation where they see a number of potential suitors for them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're having to make a decision about who to choose in that scenario. And to somebody coming up to you and saying... And so who do I choose out of these potential suitors? And they're asking that question in that vantage point. Do you see it? 
Sorry, the second one. Repeat the second one. And then second one, yeah. Oh, right. So, I didn't see the first one. Okay, oh, damn two, two, two narratives. Yeah, sorry. Narrative one. Cool. Someone <clears throat> who is aware of a number of potential suitors for them, mm-hmm. and they're trying to work up, does God give supernatural science about who the individual one out of those okay. I should okay. pick or accept uh, uh, the advances of? Okay. And someone else could be coming from the vantage point of um I, I see a barren land in front of me. Yeah. And I'm at the brink of hopelessness and I'm trying to ascertain whether God might give me a sign to say effectively someone is coming and that someone is going to be this person. So I might be in a church where there's no women or no guys. I go to the coffee shop, Starbucks, sitting down and the lights just happens to be the <laughs> lights went out apart from the one just be- and hanging over, and then we work out we had the same coffee order, and then it flows from like so. It's two different vantage points. One could be brink of hopelessness. One could be how do I decide? And I think that affects how you actually counter the answer. I thought, I, the answer is just I, no. I thought, yeah, oh yeah the answer is just no. But I thought, I thought, oh, <laughs> sorry, but I thought, I thought you were actually going to say that the other side was more. Somebody comes up to you and says, "The Lord told me that oh. that, means that you're my that you're my spouse," because that's common. That's another. That's a third narrative. That's a third narrative. So no, no, and no. <laughs> what? What? Am I wrong? Well, am I wrong? There's always new ones that we can always. Yeah. Okay. Ones. So let's let's do the let's do the three. Yeah. Okay. So Richard, Richard, you do the one about. Um, <laughs> does does uh, if, 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 if the, I I I I felt that the inverted comments. I felt the Lord spoke to me and said, "You're going to be my husband or my wife." How would you feel again? <laughs> how, how, how would you counsel that person? <laughs> Feel again. He said, go, go back to your prayer closet and pray again. Like no, 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 no. How would you counsel someone um, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they were persistent. Um, after that, I would say, um, essentially, they should go and one, consult godly counsel, two, that they should read their Bible, three, they should pray about it. And, and, and really, my emphasis would be on the fact that, do you know what I mean? Like there are, there are biblical principles in terms of you should look for when it comes to looking for a spouse. Um, and God is not going to send you to somebody without you first having, do you know what I mean? Without you first having, he wouldn't send you to do something void of employing those biblical principles. Um, he wouldn't send you to somebody without even looking, without even looking to see if they exemplify certain characteristics. You know, there's it's it, it just seems a bit it seems like the a bit of a cop a bit it seems like a cop out of a way to actually um deal with searching for a spouse, you know. Um I remember I just sat down with uh, a couple of people over the last couple of days and spoke to them quite thoroughly about, you know, what to look for and uh, they actually just got together about things that they should I would love to have said to my daughter of you know, if my daughter was getting uh was looking at a guy or da 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 and essentially I was saying, Look, when all is said and done you know, first and foremost, one thing that I know that really that really hits me is that centrally to um, to the topic of, um, of 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 pursuit is you need to know that the person is a believer, for example, right? Yep. And I was like, um, examine first and foremost, we're already called to examine ourselves and see where the faith confirm and make our election sure. That's already so difficult enough as it is, right? Um, it's something that, do you know what I mean, a believer has to examine their own heart because it's deceitfully wicked. But then imagine going and now looking at somebody else and trying to confirm that someone else is in the faith when you can't examine their heart mm. and only God can search hearts. Um, I asked them, like, how do you know this person is a believer? They gave me, like, six or seven ways in which they knew. And look, I just literally 
reference each of those ways against you know some kind of apostate or false teacher in the scriptures who exemplified all, all those characteristics and essentially says look it's not it's not so for example they they walk closely to christ so did judas like do you know what i mean like uh they're they're found among god's people so was simon the sorcerer you know like they're, they're, they 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 got baptized do you know what i mean like you can you can do this for you can do this for days and all of a sudden you recognize it and it's like, okay, let me just say in the interest of assuring uh <laughs> You know, the institution of marriage. I would you believe you can find? I know that's gonna be there that's thinking, raw. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do, you get what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah. Like, it's not. It's not. It's not that simple to just instantly make uh, to make a decision about somebody, um, even after knowing them for X amount of time. So, sure. how, so how? So how much harder would it be? So you, you just be randomly going to people and saying, "Oh, God sent me to you." Mm. Do you know what I mean not that I know you, not that I have anything about? Do you know what I mean not know anything about you? But God is saying that you're going to be my wife. That's very. That's very, that's very, do you know what I mean, very cheap in terms of like doing your proper due diligence in terms of searching for someone. And God isn't calling you to, to that kind of, to that kind of workless, um, um, effortless kind of way of finding people. Like you, you need to do your work. So do your research. People. So there is a counsel of someone who enters into the question and doesn't simply say no. <laughs> Israel, how would you counsel someone from the, the second narrative where they are thinking it's a barren land? Is God going to give me a sign to effectively demonstrate to me that someone I'm going to meet is going to be my spouse and I shouldn't be going into hopelessness? Uh, I would start by saying just a a lively communion with God, um, knowing that marriage isn't the be all and end all. Marriage isn't uh, the goal of the Christian life. That you're not less Christian or less human or less anything because you're not married. Um, and I think if you actually desire, like if you you know genuinely have a desire, it is a good desire, obviously. So you have a genuine desire to be married, uh, and immediate context doesn't present anyone that is that you think you can consider. Then I think to just be proactive and just you know, I I. Go to, I don't know, visit another church and um, go to, I don't even know if this stuff happens, go to a conference. I don't go to conferences, well, I've been to one. But my point is, I don't, I don't know how conferences work, but go to a conference, go to uh, people's, you know, expand your friendship network to include other people, maybe someone, maybe your friend's friendship network, um, in, a, in, a, in a way that genuinely connects and meets with people, not in a Oh, I'm going to go and uh, interrogate everyone. I have a clipboard, <laughs> 10 things, and I meet someone for the first time. Here are my 10 questions. The first one, you're Christian. And you start, like, just make friends and trust that God God ultimately um, cares more for you than you can care for yourself. So anything that you feel might not be in your best interest. God isn't designing your life to, to make it miserable. He's designing it and work in it to make it good for your well-being, for your soul, um, for your own humanity. Uh, and so don't feel like you need, you know, all the lights in Starbucks to shut down apart from the one just above <laughs> this person um, to have the assurance you need. Have the assurance now that God is caring for you and looking after you. Um, and he said as much in the Bible and he's proven as much in his son. Mm. And he isn't going to turn back from his word or from his own son. Um, who acted out that commitment in space-time history. So, mm. yeah, yeah, trust him in that. 
Demo. <laughs> uh, scenario one, where the man or woman is faced with a number of potential suitors, and they're trying to work out, does God give me a supernatural sign to let me know, as a man, who I should pursue out of these potential suitors, or as a woman, whose advances I should accept out of these potential suitors? Um, I, I, I would be honest and say that my advice would not differ too, too wildly from what um, Richard had said in the scenario that he was given. Um, I think sometimes when people are thinking through these kinds of, of issues, <clears throat> when people are thinking through these kinds of issues, it might stem from something... I don't know if you guys have heard the term, like, the one theology. Yeah, yeah, um, I didn't know it was called that, but yeah, I know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where essentially you think as if, like, there's this, there was just one person in a world of 7 billion people who will have X, Y characteristics and marks that mean me and that person are meant to get together. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to that, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that people have um, options. Mm -hmm. But I think the the good thing is that even in the position where a person has options, like Richard was saying, they have the ability to consult people close to the people they're considering, as well as their own kind of um, personal counsel. So, for example, in the church context, potentially an elder or somebody more senior than the person or another, another faithful Christian person um, that you speak to regularly, and also people who are close to that indivi those individuals, um, so you can kind of work out th those things that are of concern to you, where they stand on those kinds of issues. Um, also, your 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 prayer and your, your the reading of your word to kind of, to find those virtues that you'd be looking for in a Christian spouse or partner, um, and then I don't know. You'd want to be saying, like much like like we said in question um, two, you'd want to know that the decision you make is not outside the purview of God's will. Um, I think if you've readily consulted those three, um, those three, what's the factors, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for example, um, the risk I think that you take um, is not one that is outside of God's will mm. in, in choosing one person out of those. Six or seven, if it's that many. Mm. I agree. Yeah. Two more questions, though. Yeah. Um, I think the benefit is we're going to timestamp the questions. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um, two questions. Are you happy for me to do another match? You choose one. I choose one. Alright, pick one. I need to read them again. You choose one. I, I have my two already. Choose one. <laughs> choose your preferred one out of the two. So I'm hoping for a pick. So that means at least maybe two or three more questions. Um, how would you counsel me as a middle-aged black man in a majority white church struggling to feel settled after numerous years? Um, context, I trust these people love the Lord, but I'm always straining with middle-class white culture. Culture. How would you count? <laughs> Everyone's just looking right now. Well. well. Ooh. Ah. Saskilla. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's genuine. Like, I appreciate that. It's a tough Yeah, position. yeah. It's a tough position to be in. Like, you strain to the glory of God, man. Um, really. It's like... Yeah, bad. 
in what sense do you want to say like how was it? I was having this conversation I don't want to keep on speaking about relationships but I was having this conversation recently somebody asked me like how would you feel if your daughter brought home like a white man and I essentially said like I wouldn't really have an issue with it um, is it? I would appreciate that there would be cultural. I would appreciate there would be cultural difficulties that would have to work through. Um, but I wouldn't like have. A, I wouldn't have like a huge issue. Like if her Jamie, it's her decision. Like as long as you believe her, I'm a bit more Jamie. Whatever, whatever decision she makes, then yeah. Um, but yeah, I think one of the difficult. I mean, seeing as you can't see what's happening here because we don't actually record a video. Double <laughs> <I'm> Israel. <laughs> are you are you in accordance with with, what? with this? If your daughter brings home. A dumb black partner, this is cool. Cause certain men look like they're choking at the minute. So no, at all. I'm actually got a cold, so oh, I, I, I to defend myself, <laughs> I was laughing when you said really, really, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so please don't be, don't be putting that on me. No, yeah, yeah, no, no. I think yeah. So I, I wouldn't have an issue with it at, at that level. I would yeah, have. Yeah. I, I do think there would be cultural things we'd have to work through. And I think, sure. And I think I would. I, I know part of like practically speaking, like. And that's the thing. We went from saying, okay, in theory, to practice, like, and I was like, look, I'm not going to lie, there'll be cultural issues that we'd have to work through. And yeah. I think that would prove to be difficult. There'll be certain things I just won't, I know I won't like about the culture. Mm. But at the same time, like, I think it would be wrong for me to, to presume that my culture is superior to their culture. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Because um, that's essentially what's at the heart of racism. It would also be wrong for me to presume that their culture is superior to my culture. Again, mm-hmm. at the heart of racism. Um, so there's certain things that, you know, we can... We can. I should be able to look in their culture and be able to say, "Look, there are certain things I should be looking to glean from that culture that um that this white person will be bringing in." But there's also and and certain things I should we should look to actually take from their culture and and incorporate, etc. But there should also be things that we should look to reject. And likewise for vice versa for regards to the black culture as well and what and whatnot. So or African and Nigerian culture. So um yeah, I don't I don't think I would have a big issue with that. But I'm just I'm just. Sorry, let me not defer too far from the question. <laughs> but 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 at, but the core of it, the 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 essence of it is this: that um, in different cultures, there's going to be things that are going to be good, and there are going to be things that are going to be bad. Mm. If some of the things that are, do you know what I mean, and they're going to be things that you're used to, they're going to be things you're not used to. And I think it's it's just really getting to the bottom of the fact that look, even though you don't necessarily like or or find yourself so comfortable in certain elements of a mm. culture, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad culture. Yeah. Um. And so your discomfort, though in one sense is understood, is not something to be um, completely um, to assume it's all due to some sort of negative thing in terms of in terms of uh, white middle class culture. Yeah, if that makes sense. So 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 yeah, I, I so you strain on, you know, you strain on. There are certain things you might have you might be able to you might vocalize your rejection of because it mm. might not necessarily be good. Mm. So for example, if they don't, um, and this is a random example, I'm not necessarily saying they do, but if they were to and be quite dismissive of the of, of those from lower um, socioeconomic backgrounds, mm. then you should speak up about that. Do you know what I mean? Or if they don't really remember the poor, you should speak mm. up about that. But at the same time, if there are certain things they are doing well, so if they are appreciating certain cultures quite um, quite openly, if they are being yeah. quite diverse in this regard or quite welcoming in this regard, then again, you you, you, you be thankful to God for that and you strive to, do you know what I mean, to find yourself settling in uh, well there. So yeah. Eschatologically, these um, because you've said that you trust that these people of the Lord, you're also implicitly saying in that statement that you believe these are the people you're going to be in glory with, eternally. Okay. Yeah, yeah, enjoy Christ with, um, and I think that should inform your day to day, trying to where you can realizing that your Christianness, for lack of a better word, that you have and that they have, 
is a shared thing that you can enjoy um, together irrespective of your ethnicities and the differences between the ethnicities and then secondly um, God loves our ethnicities whether that's coming from an African background whether it comes from a, a Scottish background or whatever um, where, wherever you're sort of coming from um, and in working in working that out practically in this church scenario I've got a question for James <laughs> okay. it's going to affect you really <laughs> No, let me lad. But Scotland, God, yeah. But God, okay. lo- God loves our ethnicities in that sense, and so I would say it, it should mean that if you're in this culture, I think one of the things that can happen when you're in, um, when there's a culture that's dominant above your own, is that you implicitly fall into a sense of theirs is better than mine, or mine is lesser. And I think the recognition that God loves our ethnicities, and equally as well, one isn't better than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, we should that should that should give you the, the the strength of character to be able to celebrate your blackness and where that comes from in the context of that congregation and bring people alongside that journey, but also enter into learning about their sort of cultural backgrounds and receiving the good that comes from there as well. Mm. So why do you say really then, bro? In like that, do you want me to answer it? Yeah, in like that eschatological. You're not gonna reality. edit it out, huh? You're not gonna edit it out. No. I was surprised that you're um, as uh, progressive as that. <laughs> that was legit. That was that was legit. I should edit this. Time. <laughs> Israel, Israel and I are sat here aghast <laughs> at the fact that. So am I. <laughs> Sorry, I should also include you. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah, I'm the father. Um, yeah, I like, I like how you try to use a, a white middle class word. <laughs> Don't mind. What is that exclusive to? The- Let's not even go there. Let's not <laughs> no, go there. Cool, sorry. Yeah, Let's yeah. not go there. Um, but it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone else want to add on that? No, I just want to get out a second question real quick before Kingsley. Kingsley, is your second question to do with the assurance? Yeah, I went to do it. Yeah, please answer it. Ask it. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, um, answer it, yeah, as well. What are the ways to know that you are truly a Christian? And the context for this question is a believer sending it in who is struggling with uh, their assurance of faith. Any of you guys ever struggle with assurance? Yeah. I think so early on in my Christian, early on in my Christian life, very early. Mm. Um, so I became a believer about 2014. Um, so that's we're now four years, probably just over four years. Mm. So me, Kofi, and 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 Damian. Because <laughs> <laughs> always not <laughs> super bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to, by the way. No, I have. I just have to. I just, yeah. What, don't you want me to expound? No, no, no. I was just wondering because, like, if anyone wants to speak from a personal perspective. I was going to say one of the things that really helped me um, was uh, First John. Mm. Um, there's a passage, I think. That chapter, that book killed me, you know. Is it? <laughs> but there's, there's, a, there's a passage, I think it's First John 5.13. Um, let me go there and let me just read it out and I'll just explain my point. A misunderstanding of the book killed me. Okay. To be fair. Okay. I think I used to read First John 1 and just think to myself, look, um, if a person does walks yeah, in the light, yeah, yeah. then this. And if a person walks in darkness, then this. If a person makes a practice of, practices of light, then this. If they makes a practice of this, then this. And I said to myself, but I'm stumbling all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so that all, and, that, and so just a, a very introspective kind of yeah. viewpoint started to really rubbish everything like my whole view of do you know I mean of the gospel in that kind of in that kind of situation and okay. I started to really just see myself as as far as this text is concerned 
because I stumble and I walk in darkness, in the darkness therefore, yeah. then I am therefore not a believer. Not recognizing that chapter two verse one, yeah. obviously Bozeman says, but if we have a, I mean, if we have sin and, and yeah, confess yeah. that sin, He is facing justice to give us our sin, for we have a righteous, do you know what I mean, uh, an etc. So I think the first thing. So when I said First John five thirteen, it reads, "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life." And I think I came from a theological background that didn't believe necessarily in once saved, always saved. Mm. Um, and so there was always that perpetual battle that you could be one day in the faith, one day out of the faith. Um, and that influenced my thinking about the Can, I, can I just ask a question on that? Was, yeah. was that theological view pronounced though? I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily explicit. Uh, I wonder. In, in my in my context, in mine it was as well. Okay, okay. I used to hear Romans eight being expounded in a way that explained why you can why you can lose your salvation, salvation. Right, okay. which was absolutely crazy. A text that was so profound. You know what can separate us from the love of God? Yeah, right, right. Trial, pers- the, the, okay. the trial, persecution, um, sword. Um, the, 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 no, as it's written, we're never sleep to the short. But I, I do I, remember someone in a youth retreat saying. The one I thing testify. Doesn't, it doesn't mention. I testify. It doesn't mention. <laughs> it doesn't mention yourself. Yeah, that's the whole oh. point. So then, at the end of that, yeah, nothing past present angels, nothing on earth below the earth can separate me from the love of God. Then he says, "But you can walk out his hand." I said, "I said I was so round when I heard that." I was just like, "But," and that was the kind of Grandma. you know that that was the kind of theology I would hear. Um, you were being in the church. Do you know what I mean? That's the kind of. <laughs> oh, but that's the kind of theology I would hear, and I would think to myself, "Raw, like." I can lose my salvation, which is interesting because the verse you mentioned essentially says, if you believe on the Son of God, you have eternal life. And so the thing that really helps me is this verse says that you can actually know. I like. Mm. I know it's a really simple thing to say, but the, the verse is telling you effectively as a Christian, God isn't, hasn't placed you in this world to be in a perpetual battle of assurance. You mm. can actually know that you are a Christian and enjoy the benefits that assurance brings. So that was the first step that I can actually know. And then from there, it went on to, okay, now that I know that I actually can know that I'm a Christian, how does the Bible say that I should know that I'm a Christian? And I think this is where a proper understanding of the book of First John can be very helpful. Mm. I think I think the big struggle for me, I remember I used to, I used to walk into a church that I attend now. Um, and when I first started attending, I just used to see everyone and think, right, these guys are so holy um and think to myself that Richard you so filthy um and that like and that really just like that really like that really got me quite hard and I, and I remember just struggling with certain sins and various things like that and just really being aware of that mm. to the point whereby I just didn't feel like I could even enter into the church mm. almost um because I knew that a fruit of salvation was your sanctification mm-hmm. And therefore, you will know them by their fruits. I was so conscious that, you know, if I, if my fruit was ever lacking, that would instantly make my faith waver. Whereas, you know, a brother eventually reminded me, you know, look, you're not saved by your sanctification, but your justification. In other words, you're not saved by what you, you do, per se, but by the fact of what Christ has done. And that was just revolutionary for me because all of a sudden I started <coughs> to recognize um, more and more that if I keep on looking purely to my sanctification as a means of demonstrating whether I'm saved or not, um, then what will happen is, as my works go up, 
I will start to have more confidence in my in my mm-hmm. saving. I mean, in my in my salvation, and it will be a confidence based in me. And as my works go down, and they're not. I mean, and as I as I struggle at points, then all of a sudden it's like my link to Christ is almost is almost breaking or vanishing and separating. That, and and that's not. And 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 again, it's 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 too introspective. Whereas what's actually happening is God has declared me righteous, um, even though I'm a sinner. Um, and even though I failed, because he's looking directly at his son as he's making the declaration, and that's the and that's the beauty of, of of the assurance the believer can have is the fact that God is determining your righteousness based on someone completely on something completely outside of you. Um, and once I kind of had that reality, and I recognized it, it instantly made I mean instantly sunk in that raw the basis of my salvation and the basis therefore of my assurance is rooted in the fact that I'm trusting in Christ mm. and not in the fact that I'm um, my life looks the way that I expect it to look or, or, or I'm flourishing the way I expect myself to flourish or I'm overcoming sin in the way I expect myself to overcome sin but more so in the, in the, in the pure trust um, in, in Christ's finished work on my behalf. So, so yeah. yeah. Just one thing to add as well. I think in, um, I think certain personality types can find themselves um, more plagued by battles with assurance than others. And I think it's important to have an awareness of that. If you're someone who is typically, for example, as Richard said, typically someone who's quite introspective, then it can be very easy for you to not have the right balance between the the subjective tests that First John sets out and also the understanding of the objective reality of the gospel. You need to balance the two. So I think if you have an awareness, an acute awareness of your constitution, what type of person you are, it can help influence the way that you look at how to assess your standing and your progress in the faith. And I think sometimes that it can be helpful then to bring in, um, to a certain extent, other people into these questions, these these things that you're going through as you're thinking them through, like a pastor, where you're working through, look, here is where I am, here are my struggles, here is what I believe, and all these kind of questions that you're having, someone who can give you counsel to to effectively help you prop up um, the balance, the scales correctly, so that you're not leaning heavily to one side and not enough to the other. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You good? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, finish the last question. Last question. Anyone? Energy for last question? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, feeling the energy, man. Feeling it. Okay, last question. Uh, no, we need to give we need to give this uh, one proper time. Okay, okay, it's the fifth one. I think we need to give that a proper answer. So I'll do eleven. Go on. What virtue do you? What? What? Why is my mind making this up? It's the way you do it. What virtue do you think Western Christians would do well to cultivate? Israel. Israel. <coughs> that's the last one in the question. Israel. Uh, virtues would we do well to one, cultivate? One. one virtue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say virtues? Yeah, yeah. Jokes. I had a list. We've got to name the fruit of the spirit. Well, I think as a, as a primer, you would want a virtue or virtues that uh, you are not twisting mid- language. <laughs> one virtue that, that I dropped the word primer. I <laughs> the word. Primer. 
<laughs> oh, I'm struck. My my struggle right now is trying to pick one, um, based on what I think it probably is most significant for this time. Uh, everyone's doing one by the way. Ended on this. Everyone should do one. <laughs> I think you know what I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with. Uh, this is this is this is. You you won't like me for this bad man, but I think I think cultivating the virtue of um, self examination in the context of solitude that that I don't even know if that really counts. But self examination in the context, context of, of solitude. Solitude. Okay. So I'm trying to hit at two different things uh, in light of the Western world, primarily the urban world, I should say as well, because the bias having like being London and that shaping how how we view life. I think one of the one of the markers of our age is effectiveness, um, distraction, busyness, uh, progress. Things always moving. Where we don't like to be static anymore. Um, and I think that making progress, being efficient, being effective, being highly productive are very good things and they've done tremendous good in society but it also comes with its dangers i remember we uh when during the whole debate about not debate sorry during the election campaigns between trump and hillary clinton uh one of the things that came up regarding hillary clinton this is this is a soft critique of her so it's nothing about policies or her her, her personal politics one of the soft critiques that came out about her was that she had developed over time, being so long in Obama's administration, what people call decision fatigue, that every single day as Secretary of State, you're making decisions day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. Things move like clockwork. Nothing stops in that way. And this is true for any anywhere in politics. That's just as true for the UK government and 10 Downing Street and so on. But you're making decisions, very, very serious decisions, every single day. Um... And decision fatigue essentially says that you get so used to making decisions so consistently and so frequently that you have, you're have you not as reflective about the impact of the decision you make. Um, and I think that's one of the things that happens in lesser degrees because obviously we're, we're not all Secretary of State and making decisions that affect an entire nation. But it does happen in our lives where we're, we're doing so much, we're being so productive, trying to mm-hmm. think about the next steps that we never pause to slow down and develop this self-examination, this reflectiveness about ourselves in the context of solitude, saying that actually removing the distraction. That's what I mean by solitude. Removing the distractions, removing uh, the the things around us that constantly switch our minds up and so on. And sitting there, thinking about who we are, thinking about uh, what we can be, how we can improve, how we can change... And taking the time to understand ourselves better. And I think mm. by, understand ourselves, by understanding ourselves better, uh, we're then enabled when we move back into that productive phase to make wiser decisions. So I think that does, in the end, it cultivates, it's, it's projecting towards the cultivation of wisdom. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's probably the, the virtue that I was trying to hit at by not really knowing. Got I just it, spent there in the end. three minutes talking about how to get there. <laughs> um, but yes, Rich. Yeah, I think for me, the virtue that I think I would love to see cultivated more within the Western community um, in Western civilization is um, an increased biblical literacy. Um, I think. Is that a virtue? 
Yeah, actually, it is. I went to go and look up the definition of a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> so, this guy's just trying to keep saying it. Look, I'm not against it. Sorry, I'm just... all under that bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said I got facts. <laughs> um, it's something... Uh, a virtue is essentially something that is considered morally good or desirable in the person. <laughs> you went through to give me Or desirable in the person. So, yes, I... Uh, I and so, yeah, I think I think an increased biblical literacy would be a wonderful virtue to see um, in the in Western civilization generally. Um, and by the way, how can you question if that's a virtue after what he just? Uh, <laughs> 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 it's just <a> <laughs> um, So you're smelling. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> hey. um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think what we what what you see. Um, as you look back historically, is you get um, the atheist of yesteryear was um, a Christian atheist, so mm. they were quite very, they were quite familiarized with what the scriptures taught, and they were quite, you know, um, knowing that they were actually in antithesis with the Christian God. Mm. Um, nowadays, it seems that um, people who reject the scriptures often have barely any understanding uh, whatsoever what the scriptures teach and not just that but also within churches we see that many people who are professing believers um, don't have a strong biblical basis, and so questions that are quite simple um, and that can be addressed quite quickly um, by anyone who's not necessarily a biblical who's probably considered a biblical scholar now but who, who previously was just biblically literate um, are now confounding so many people and and Essentially, unfortunately, you have people in the church who just aren't with, who aren't able to give answers, and so what they do is rather than giving good answers, uh, faithful answers, biblical answers, um, they are giving um, probably just like thoughts that cross their mind, and that you know that isn't sufficient to answer um, the concerns of a of a of a dying generation, you know, of a generation in need of um, of grace and truth, and so um, yeah, just an increased biblical literacy. And both inside and outside of the church would be would help move uh, conversations along much better, um, and would also help to inform just the general populace in terms of things like morality and 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 how to conduct oneself, etc., etc. Um, so yeah, thank you, Rich, Danny. Um, <clears throat> I'd probably go with um, seasoned speech. Um, this might actually be particular to a number of kind of interactions that I see in a very small part of the Western world, if I'm being honest, or between Western Christians. But actually, I do think it kind of speaks to something more generally about the polarizing nature of um, op opposing opinion um, in the Western world. Um, there has been a lot of, just in the last few years, um, both in the UK, when I'm thinking of the West, sorry, I'm, I, I would say I'm thinking primarily of the UK and the US, um, particularly in the political sphere, um, and how... Uh, much of the divisive rhetoric that has been put out by a number of, say, politicians, for example, or leading public figures um, has meant that there's been quite a large degree of um, of, of negative um, interaction between people who fall on opposing sides of, um, say, political thought. Um, and I think that has also crept into um, the church, certainly in a number of interactions that I've seen between um, Western Christians and so it would be a reminder for Christians to be gracious in their speech not only when speaking to each other but speaking more generally with people whose views they disagree with um, I think sadly um, 
a number of the conversations where on, say, political issues, um, such as necessarily who to vote for or uh, topics as, as, as important as abortion, for example, um, people's um, comments, um, remarks, insults um, have demonstrated just a lack of graciousness with which they um, encounter or appreciate their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So mm. I think that would be um, my my take on one virtue that we can cultivate in the world. How about you, Kenton? You had all this time. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is um, contentment. I think um, in the Western world, one of the things that is increasingly prevalent is um, access to a lot of information that previously um, generations before us wouldn't have had mm -hmm. access to. So I can know um, about the exploits of um, a gentleman in the Philippines. Um, I can know about the achievements of a young man in America. Mm -hmm. I can see the wedding photos of someone in Australia, etc., 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 and all of these things I think come and they have an effect on a person where they are increasingly led to be comparing their lives to the highlights of lives that they see around them. So not necessarily the lives of others around them, but the highlights of the yeah. lives they see around them because of things like social media, um, and then also because of the nature of sort of Western society which, as Israel alluded to, speaks a lot about progression, a lot about efficiency, productivity, and so on. We're always being challenged to do more, to, to be more, to get more, to acquire more. Um, and I think um, in certain circles, that comes at the expense of having um, a sense of um, being content with what you have, what your lot is. Mm. And uh, thinking particularly of being a witness in the world, um, in a world where people are essentially killing themselves to acquire more, to have more, to be more. Um, and when I say be more, I don't mean in terms of virtues, but to, to I don't know, it might be to be more popular or yeah. to, to, to yeah. be more successful. Um, to be someone who demonstrates actively that that sense of I am content, what God has given me, that someone who actually believes what God has given me is sufficient for me and is given with a father's love. Someone who embodies that would be such, I think, a wonderful witness in the world. Um, and even in the church, actually, where we, uh, particularly in like London, um, where there's a sense in which um, you can go to a church and the affairs of one church member to another can be so um, completely different. Mm. Um, if you can demonstrate that sense of content, uh, being content, I think you can also be a sanctifying influence on the church as well. Mm. No, I agree. I agree. Thanks for that. That was actually a very helpful uh, way to end. We don't even get that energy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say, in the interest of working towards humility, that last question was my question as well. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't like it anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Yo, this is the first episode of season three of Black Maria. Um, I'm Kingsley. Um, Israel. <laughs> <laughs>